Welcome to Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing. I'm film critic Gary Kogel, and today, two new films just in time for Thanksgiving. Warren Beatty writes, he produces, he directs, he stars in a goofy and sometimes very sweet little comedy that centers around the life and times of Howard Hughes. It's a film called Rules Don't Apply. And Brad Pitt and Marion Cotillard star in a World War II spy drama as a married couple behind enemy lines. And it's called Allied. And I'm Smalia Haley Hamilton Cogill. This week we'll pair Rules Don't Apply with a Rule Breaker wine. And Allied begins in one of the least likely regions for wine consumption, Morocco, with a heavy Muslim influence. However, in the mid-20th century, it's one of the leading wine regions in the world. We'll pair a fruity, spicy Cabernet blend with the spy film later in the show. But first, Gary, let's talk Rules Don't Apply. Okay, we saw this film together. Uh, I'm a big fan of Warren Beatty, who's now 79 years old. And, and, you know, Warren Beatty won the Oscar. He wrote and directed and produced Reds. And Warren Beatty did Heaven Can Wait. He not only starred in it, but he directed that film. He has been nominated for 14 Academy Awards, four times for Best Actor, four for Best Picture, two for Best Director, Three for original screenplay, one for adapted screenplay. Wow. And as they said, he won in 1981 for directing Reds. Uh, I think Warren Beatty's the, the first, the only person to have been twice nominated for acting in and writing and directing and producing the same film. Wow. And uh, by, by the way, I think the first film that he did direct was Heaven Can Wait. I love mm-hmm. Heaven Can Wait. Yes. Uh, back in 1978. And uh, Buck Henry co-wrote that film with him. But you know he, he's a he's a big recipient of all this stuff. So rules apply, rules don't apply comes along. And I remember when I heard this title, I went, "This is the most boring title." Weird title. It's a weird title. It doesn't sound very good. And it it's it's really takes place set in 1958 in Hollywood, and it's about Howard Hughes. And Warren Beatty plays Howard Hughes, who was a reclusive, had all these weird quirks, had all these women and their moms moved to L.A. He put them up in homes. They were his starlets. Saying I can get you into Hollywood and I or get I'm you gonna, screen yeah, test. Yeah, we're going to have a screen test. And some I did, yeah. some didn't, but there was quite a few. It all sounds really bad. It, it yes. It's always sounded really, really weird to me. <sighs> was Warren, was uh, not Warren Beatty? Was was Howard Hughes fooling around with all of them? I mean, what was going on with all this stuff? And it's always been a weird part of history for me. And so he plays a reclusive, but it really centers around this couple. Lily Collins plays plays one of them, and Alden. Aaron Reich or Aaron Reich or something like that. He was the guy. Would that you were. Would that you were. In <laughs> Hail Caesar. Caesar. <laughs> it's the funniest bit in Hail Caesar. Would that you were. Would that you were. Would that you were. And, he, you were. and he's kind Would of a leading man looking actor. And he's he's working for Howard Hughes as a driver. She's one of the girls put up in her home. And she's a hardcore Southern Baptist with her mom played by Annette, Annette Benning. Benning. And that's not in the film very much. She's mm-hmm. first time Warren Beatty's ever directed his wife. So really, really kind of is this goofy, you know, when are we going to meet Howard Hughes? When are we going to meet him? And all of a sudden— Because nobody meets him because he's a recluse. Because he's a recluse. And, and, he talks and on the he phone has from the other these, room. Right. <laughs> Behind a curtain. <laughs> he has all these people who work for him that have never met him. Yes. And she's a hardcore, devout Methodist. She's a virgin. She doesn't want to. She doesn't want to have sex unless it's with her husband, who she's eventually going to marry. And it's really kind of about Puritans in Hollywood— 
And then as they become more and more Hollywoodized, they become more and more probably a little bit liberal in their views and what they think of life. And at the center is Howard Hughes. And to the life of me, Haley, I, I can't tell you what this film is about <laughs> other than it's about them trying to break into their careers. And it's about the weird Howard Hughes. And I, I could see a movie about them with Howard on the peripheral, mm-hmm. but Warren directed it and he directed it himself and He's in the film as the film goes along in it more and more and more and more. It's, I almost wish that it had been the two of the the two yes. the two young kind of uh, this is us figuring out who yeah. we are because there is a very sweet kind of little love story in the. It's midst a really good of, film in places. Of but then it's also just really really bad and Matthew Broderick is a driver and and he has a very odd kind of part yeah. like every, it's it just seemed. I really wanted to 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 like this movie. I really wanted Megan Hilty's in. I, I like there were people that she's I wanted to see. It. I, but yes. I was still. It's like I was. Oh yay, Megan Hilty. She's known for Broadway. She has a good little little part in a in a in a big film and yeah. and and it just didn't work for me. Listen, it's a really good looking film. Warren Beatty gets everybody that's great around him. He's a very good director. I thought it was a great looking film, and I didn't really care much about it. Mm-hmm. Listen, it's not the worst film of the year, and I don't think it's a bad film. I just don't think it's a real good film and for this time of year it's slightly disappointing mm-hmm. so I think it's going to have trouble finding an audience uh, none of, I mean, especially I should, in the midst of everything that's of all this so other good stuff. that's right now I mean you're not going to take an 8 year old and a 10 year old to see rules don't apply I mean, it really is. A, it really is. Okay, it's me and my peeps' generation watching movies, <laughs> and I would watch it. But it, it's it's not going to overwhelm you, and it's that's good. It's got some good stuff. It kind of got better. I thought the second half. There's a weird sex scene in it that's really, really weird. We're going to talk about that in another movie too. But it's just a. It's it's odd. It's mm-hmm. just. Um, I I I think it's a good film and never a great film. And I'm I I can't call it a good film all the way through. So I'm slightly disappointed. I don't think rules rules. Don't apply is really good enough for this time of year. I think it should have come out another time of uh, of the year, not this time of year. Wow, slightly, yeah. di- slightly disappointing for me. Yeah. So if if rules don't apply as a film, <laughs> um, well, and that's so uh, so trying to to find a uh, a wine to pair with this because it's you know, I thought there were a few different angles I could have taken. There was a very yeah. sweet. Um, kind of love story in this. So you could say that the perfect pairing for Rules Don't Apply would maybe be a nice sauterne. Mm-hmm. So a beautiful dessert wine uh, made from Simeon and Sauvignon Blanc from the, the southern part of Bordeaux. Lots of honey, lots of flowers, lots of, of uh, still some nice acidity, but but something you would absolutely, you would serve with dessert. Um, there's champagne flowing throughout the film. Throughout so, the film. So champagne is also a good pairing. Um, found a little wine, though, from South Australia though, called uh, Rule Breaker, as it just happens to be. <laughs> Rule Breaker. Um, it's from Thomas Allen Wines from um, Australia, and his Rule Breaker is that he's blending Chardonnay and Sauvignon Blanc together, which traditionally you don't do because either you are a Sauvignon Blanc fan or you're a Chardonnay fan. But his rule breaker is actually a little bit of both. He's breaking the rules. So he's breaking the, the rules. The rules don't apply to this guy. <laughs> Thomas Allen Wines, the rules don't apply to you. <laughs> um, so, the, yeah, the, that's that's my rule breaker wine. But again, I would say uh, if drinking a bubble would actually just help the, the film pass a little faster, <laughs> that's also not so a So it brings thing. up a point that I, I think is interesting. When we talk about when you pair wines with films, and we can talk about really good wines with really great films all the time. But throughout the year, we get more good films this time of year than any other time. But throughout the year, we're going to get a lot of really bad mm-hmm. films. 
I would say most of the wines are better than the films. Well, I think that if you have a really good glass of wine, it can make any bad film. Um, you could get through any bad film. Especially dull. if you're watching it in IMAX. Yes. If you're watching it in IMAX with a better wine, the film will be better. <laughs> or 3D. <laughs> well, 3D is disappointing to me. But IMAX, IMAX always makes films look better to me. Okay. Okay, so Interesting. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw some Warren Beatty films at you, and we're going to gab about them a little bit, because he's made so many good ones. Uh, he started off way back in the day with Splendor in the Grass, 1961. Then he did Bonnie and Clyde, and he shot that film in the Dallas Which area. we talked about Bonnie and Clyde a couple I, weeks ago. We I think Bonnie, that film. Yeah, I think you can make a case that Bonnie and Clyde is the greatest film ever made in the state of Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's one of them. It's probably in the top five. Uh, it's a great film, and he's great in it. Also, uh, and Bonnie and Clyde changed the way we looked at violence in movies. Violence in movies was, was done a little bit differently up to that point. It was more shocking in, the, in that film. Then he wooed all the women and did their hair in shampoo. <laughs> and if you ever get a chance to watch shampoo, it's uh, Goldie Hawn's in it. Yeah. Everybody's in it. It's a little dated now because I think it's the 70, yeah, it's 75. Um, but it's really fascinating, kind of the, how immoral he is and yeah. how crazy all that stuff is back then. Is it kind of like, um, is it is it kind of like American Gigolo? <laughs> with lighter, air? lighter, but says the same thing. Lighter, but says the same thing. And it's really about beautiful women just going gaga over yeah. a, over a guy, and he's got big hair. It's the seventies. He's got huge Warren Beatty hair. You know, he directed Dick Tracy, which was actually a pretty good film, and then Bugsy, and then Bullworth. Those and are, Bugsy's where he met Annette Benning, right? Bugsy, I think, is where he met Annette mm-hmm. Benning. Yeah, about Bugsy Siegel and the birth of Las Vegas, mm-hmm. where they left L.A. and went to Vegas. And I, I think he's a really interesting guy. And I've always, uh, I, I didn't know this, but um, he grew up in a in a Baptist family. Mm-hmm. And when he talks about a lot of things um, personally, he goes back to that kind of Baptist upbringing, which I think is kind Very of fascinating mm-hmm. for a guy who had. Probably the reputation of being the biggest womanizer in the history of Hollywood back in the day until he met Annette. Right. And then for, he's been married for, what, 25, 26 yeah. years to Annette now, and they're, she's fantastic. She's amazing. And I will say for him being 79, he does look good. I'm sure he's yeah. had some work done, but but there are lots of 79-year-olds that have work done, and their like whole face just is lifted yeah. to another dimension. His still looks rather normal, but but he's he's still a handsome man. His father had a PhD in psychology. Wow. I, I mean, all that stuff. And, of course, she has the famous sister. Who is Shirley, Shirley MacLaine. Who probably visits him in different lives. <laughs> I, I, I mean, Terry. I find all of that kind of fascinating. So I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the great Warren Beatty. I just I just wanted to like this. Like you said, I wanted to like this film so much more and— I'd rather have a glass of wine that's a little bit at least better than the film. Hey, let's take a break. And when we come back on Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing, Brad Pitt, Marion Cotillard. Man, that sounds like something I want to see. They star in a new big-budget wartime drama. It's called Allied. And yes, Haley and I have both seen Allied, and we have a lot to say about Allied. (laughs) When we return on Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing. And welcome back to Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing. So there's this film called Allied with Brad Pitt and Marion Cotillard. It arrives in local theaters this weekend for Thanksgiving. I'm just going to say one word. Boring! 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 <laughs> it's so sad. This, I mean, both of these oh actors, my. Robert Zemeckis, like, the going into Robert this. The great Robert Zemeckis directed it. Going into this film, I was 
I was so excited to see it, and it was packed out, and every all these people around us were so invested. It's like, are we watching the same film? <laughs> So yes, Gary, tell us about Allied. Well, well, it's based on this, and it's based on a true story. So I didn't know anything about this true story. And I actually think the last 15 minutes of the film is the only really kind of interesting part of the film for me. But they play, uh, they play two government kind of assassins. And, uh, and he's Canadian and she's French. And they meet behind the lines in Casablanca. So the first 30 minutes of the film takes place in Casablanca. Which looks kind of cool, and then every once in a while it looks like a movie set. And then it looks like, are they shooting? And the opening scene, though, is on the sand dunes of Morocco. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of cool. It looks kind of like the English patient mm-hmm. meets Lawrence of Arabia. It's Brad Pitt, but Brad Brad looks either depressed or uninterested. Really bored. He does. And I'm not saying he as an actor is is that. I'm just saying his character appears that way. In the film. And so, you know, they go, he meets his fake wife and they go to their fake, uh, you know, where they live in Casablanca. And their goal is to assassinate this German during this party that they're trying to get invited to. And, and so the whole first 30 minutes is they meet and they're playing fake husband and wife. And of course, they, they do what they're supposed to do. They end up back in London. They fall in love. They get married and she's pregnant and they have a baby. And that's kind of the movie. <laughs> But so they have a baby and they're in London, and then all of a sudden the war's still going on. The war's really going on now, and she gets accused of actually being a German undercover spy. (gasps) So they have to figure out whether she is or isn't. Oh my goodness! So what's going on there? And so listen, all that's kind of interesting, but I found the film to be a movie star panorama. I I was never invested in her, and I love her as an actress. I love her. Marion Cotillard, to me, is one of the best actresses in the world. I think Brad Pitt is so good right now at this time of his career in so many other films Mm -hmm. that when I see him in this, I am so uninterested. Yes. And his character character mumbled and spoke. Spoke bad French. They both, yes. The <laughs> French um, accent was very was was not good. I think he was supposed to be French Canadian, and yet they were trying he is to, French, yeah, to yeah. pass them off as a Parisian, which that just didn't work. But um, he just he he is he can be so good because I, I was just thinking of what are some of the things that I love Brad Pitt in. I loved Brad Pitt and Benjamin Buttons. Loved him in Benjamin. I Buttons. thought that was one of the I most. Interesting characters and develop how he developed that character. Of course, we loved him in Meet Joe Black, and he had this very kind of youthful, gazy, dewy-eyed kind of thing. And it was it was almost that same character, except in Meet Joe Black, he it was charming, and in yeah. this, it was just like he's just he's a little off kilter in Meet Joe Black yeah. because because he's supposed to be because he's, he's deaf. To be. But he's great in Twelve Monkeys. He's great oh. in A River Runs Through It. He's great in Moneyball. Oh. He's great in, he's great, you know, he produced 12 Years a Slave. He produced The Dude, Departed. Yes. And won Oscars. He, and he's great in all the of his. the big short. Yes. And then he's funny in his Ocean's 11 and yes. 12. And World War Z. He's, oh, World War Z is so good. <laughs> it's a zombie movie. That's why you like it. But what we're saying is that uh, I think he's he really interesting so in everything else other than this film. And so yes. I don't know what it is. I'm, I'm going to probably blame the director here. And I'm Robert Zemecki's biggest fan. He did Flight with Denzel Washington. He did Castaway. He did Forrest Gump. He did the Back to the Future of the movies. He went back and did Romancing the Stone way back in the day in 1984. He did The Walk uh, about... Um, Philippe Petit. Philippe Petit, you know, walking between the World Trade Centers. This guy makes wonderful films. And 
And for some reason, I'm just going to say this one's flat as a pancake to me. Mm-hmm. I was so uninterested, uninvolved. And when the film was over, I'll sit through the, we'll sit through the credits most of the time, but we, we, we couldn't do it. I was kind of done. I was kind of done and kind of out I of it. I needed to get home so I could, I and, could watch Below Deck. That's how, <laughs> that's how invested in this movie this I was. How, this is how twisted our lives are. <laughs> we want to go home and turn on Bravo and watch a bunch of people work, working on a private yacht and their personal private. <laughs> This is a lot about us. About how bad this. So Ally, boring, and I, and it should be. Listen, rules don't apply as more energy in five minutes than all of Allied had, and neither of them really work as fun. Well, and it's interesting because they are they they come together as fake husband and wife, and then somehow they've fallen in love. But even that, their love story seemed very. It just wasn't yeah. believable. I think that that's probably at the end of the day. You it, know, she was in. She's in a, a movie we love, A Good Year. She is in A Good she's Year. Fanny. She's Fanny. She's the girl. She's the girl yes, in A Good again, Year. Yes, with Russell Crowe. With Russell Crowe. In the Rhone yes. region of France. She was in Inception. She was in Midnight in she's Paris. She was in Midnight in Paris. Oh, I just love She was that. in The Dark Knight Rises. Yes. Yes. She was. She's she great. played Lady Macbeth in Macbeth last year with Michael Fassbender. But man, this is just flat as a pancake, and all these rumors about whatever happened kind to his of just, marriage. They and, kind of like look at each other a lot, but they don't look at each other. They're sitting at a table on their wedding day, and they're looking across the table at each other, and there's no joy or love or hate or interest. They just have this very kind of one-dimensional dead look. And yeah. can I say it's the more I think about it, it's the funniest bad sex scene in movies of the last <laughs> few years. Because when they finally do make love and you see it in this movie in Morocco, it's, it's hilariously dumb. <laughs> and it's so I'm trying to it's so Can we say it? I think we can well, we're not giving yeah, anything. They I make mean, love in the middle of a, a, of a raging sandstorm, sandstorm and, in a car. And it's just like really the car it's so it Kitchy, sounds like a yeah. freight train going by them. <laughs> I'm kind of worried about the car and not about their sex lives at that point. Okay. Um, let's talk wine. Yeah, because it opens in that scene in Morocco, and they're walking across the desert. I'm waiting for the Lawrence of Arabia theme, and then it goes downhill from there. Yes. Um, yeah. Well, and it's I. we have had a few Moroccan wines, and it's not the typical region for, for wine production, but no. at one point it is. It is obviously a very Muslim country, so it's surprising that, that wine would be produced. In, in a Muslim country, but um, wine has been made in North Africa for over 2,500 years. So wow. it's something that's been a part of of the production and the the at least the agriculture for many years, even if they're not personally consuming it. Um, but in the years when the French were governing uh, Morocco in the first half of the 20th century, wine production boomed. It was at its peak in the 1950s, producing around 300 million liters of wine. Wait, 300 million? That's a lot of wine. Liters. Wow. Yeah, not, wow. yes. So there, there's a lot of, and, and it was actually um, known as, as medicine wine because they actually fortified it. They fortified the lower alcohol French wines with the Moroccan wine to make them stronger. <laughs> Wait, they would open a bottle and pour theirs in? Well, they would just kind of make it their own blend. Okay. It's probably how okay. a 750 milliliter bottle of French wine became a liter of Moroccan wine. Oh, I get it. Okay. So, um, then uh, production, you know, kind of fell off when they gained their independence. But it's actually continued to grow over the last, since the 1990s. 
Um, it's it's kind of seen a resurgence. About huh. 35 million bottles are produced right now. Red wine is is the main um, production, mostly reds, a little rosé, a tiny bit of white, um, and it's mostly table wine. But as as time you know goes on in, in any region that's kind of finding its way, it's the the producers are getting accolades. They getting better at it. There's one in particular that we've actually had. We had it, um, that cute little souk restaurant down at Trinity Groves. And I'm I'm going to probably butcher this name. It's I believe it's Domain Ouled Thaleb. So it's O-U-L-E-D-T-H-A-L-E-B. And I'll have a, a link to their okay. website on website. Yes, we did website. have that one. Um, it was established in 1923, and they kind of have led the renewal of this Moroccan wine industry since the 90s. Um, they're estate-grown fruit, mostly um, organic organically grown grapes. Their medallion wine is one in particular. They're mostly growing cab, um, Grenache, Syrah, the kind of main uh, varieties for Morocco. So their medallion wine is a Cab Merlot Syrah blend grown in very sandy gravel-filled soils. So it's really earthy, kind of crushed stone, um, lots of red fruit, uh, lots of kind of red cherry and red berry, um, aged for about a year in partially new French oak. So it does have a little bit of spice, a little bit of dark chocolate, but kind of interesting wine. And and for for a region that you don't think of or a place you don't really think of wine being grown, um, it's it's a nice offering from from the from the country. So. I remember when we went into Zouk. Zouk. So yeah. we sat down because it's a very high rated restaurant. We, we, they, they, really I want to eat their hummus. Platter. Yeah, they, they have like multiple really kinds good, of hummus. Yes, and, and really good tomato marmalade. <laughs> tomato marmalade. And so, and like we're curious about wines from mm-hmm. the region. Mm-hmm. And it's not, I mean, we're in Dallas, Texas. Right. We're, we're not going to get a Moroccan wine, and there it is, and they have bottles of it. Mm-hmm. And some of them on display, and so they bring it over and. It was actually really pretty good. Yeah. It, I think we had their I, Chardonnay also, which was nice. I thought it tasted kind of young. Yeah, it's not. I don't think that they're highly complex wines. So you're not going to age them or lay them down for a long period of time. I, probably, probably, probably not. Yeah, yeah, probably it's something that you. It's more uh, a youthful. It, it it reminded me. Sometimes we've had some wines that when you first try them, they're really nice, and then they kind of fall off pretty fast. And so I I kind of. Say, I think it's a great food wine. It's an easy wine. Mm-hmm. It's something you just open, drink it with your meal, and then kind of call it a day. I was pleasantly surprised because I, I don't know if my bar was low because I, I never thought about wines from there. Yeah, exactly. But I know I've learned, I, I learn a lot from you about this because I, I, I think it's interesting that they make that much mm-hmm. wine there and that there's, and that you can even buy them in the States. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, know, that you can, can be even get them here. Yeah. I yeah, would imagine yeah. if you're over there, they're everywhere. Well, and that's the thing though, because so many of the actual people of the country, um, can't drink them or don't drink them because right. of their religious beliefs, and so it's it's probably mostly an export, um, an export product or something that you would just if you I guess if you're visiting then you have the for ability. the rest of us yes for the rest of us that that can drink wine when we go there. So the more I think about the film Allied, I think the worse it's going to get. Oh. Isn't that true? Yeah. I, I, I sometimes films are sometimes I walk out of a film and I think. You know, if I think about this film, it's going to get better. Maybe it's a little smarter than me, but I don't think a film's smarter than us. I, 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 don't, I don't think there's enough there. There's no there there to make mm-hmm. that film. But I will say the story is interesting, and I would I would rather go now read a book about that about couple. that couple. Yeah. Because when you find out that that's a true story, and also even though it's a true story, I didn't know how it ended, and so mm-hmm. I was kind of interested in the ending of it. And so when it finally 
got to the ending, I, how, it, wow. how it all came about, was really interesting mm-hmm. to me. But but the journey getting there as a film and as a filmmaker, at one point they're driving down a street in Casablanca before it's going to dissolve and you realize they're getting away with it there and they're going to fall in love and they're going to get married and they're going off to London. And it looks like you're driving down a side street of Disney World to me. It, it looked like there's nobody there. It it looked like a fake street. Yeah. And it might have been real. It might have been totally real. They might have I don't know. But it, it just looked, all of it so, looked like a, like an average to really uh, flat as a pancake movie. Let's talk because we um, have now pretty much said that we didn't care for it, either of the big films opening. Yeah. This Russo to Play had moments to me that I thought were very good. We're charming, and I thought sure. it was a, I thought it was a very well made film that I didn't care that much about. Allied is another very well film, well made film, but, but more of a paint by numbers movie. Characters didn't seem invested, so I wasn't invested. But buried! So let's talk a few docs, because if you didn't want to go and see a a film this week, there are some awesome documentaries on Netflix right now. There's a lot of them right now, and some of them are free. Uh, Before the Flood is um, is, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Martin Scorsese's documentary. And they paid for everything, and it's free on Netflix. And it's it's a global warming movie, mm-hmm. and it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I learned a lot. I thought that Leonardo knew more about the subject when I saw the film. I was a little because dis- he's an advocate. He kind of learns as he goes, that, yeah. and he's such a big advocate, uh, you know, to fight global warming that I thought he knew more than he did. And listen, I I, I can't speak for him, and I haven't spoken to him about this, but. But that was an interesting thing to find out in the film. But where they go and what they do and the places of the world they visit, it's pretty startling. Mm-hmm. And it's, I, I find it interesting. But Gleason, Gleason, we watched this film mm-hmm. about Steve Gleason, who played for the New Orleans Saints. And, uh, I made and, the mistake. And ALS. I made the mistake and watched it on a plane, and am sitting in my lovely seat on our flight back from Hawaii, and I am bawling. I think the yes. the 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 flight attendant actually came by and said, "Are you okay?" Yeah. Because it's such a a well made, beautiful story of of this. Of this very very courageous man's life, and it's also interesting about his family. You know, he has a he has a kind of a troubled relationship with his father, um, and he has an he's a fantastic wife. But it's this was kind and of he the has whole, a child, and this was kind of the whole basis of of everybody doing the ice bucket challenge last right, year, right? Yeah, yeah, and he has a disease, and so it's not your typical we're going to fight a disease movie. This is about a guy who's really interesting, really fascinating, like like most people are. But he's so engaging, and then the relationship with his father has a lot to say about what's going on in the movie. Because it, at one point, and I, I read this interview with the director, who said he decided to make this movie because Steve Gleason had him over to the house and on the video showed him a video of when they took him to a faith healer. Because his dad believed that he went to this Pentecostal, charismatic faith healer, Christian faith healer. That, it's going to get rid of his ALS. That he would, uh, you know, if you believe enough, if you believe Which is enough. Which horrible. You can't, you but can't. You, if you believe oh. enough, you'll be healed. And a lot of people do believe that. But the, but what happens, because they videotape the whole thing, is really startling and interesting and heartbreaking. Oh. And yet real and honest because he didn't want to hide that. He loves right. his father and wanted to help his father and really wanted to be healed. But, it, you know. Obviously. It doesn't happen. Well, and his wife is is the hero of this yes. of this film. And she has her own personality that's really interesting. And she is I am I I am so impressed with her and yeah. I would love to 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 help promote her speaking career because she yeah. has a story that I just I I I found her to be 
so engaging and 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 truly a hero because of what how she lives every single day of her life. It's an interesting sense of humor in this movie. I love when the when this kid gets on his wheelchair with him and mm-hmm. they just kind of fly around the house. Yeah. It's like a really cool ride for all of them. I'm if you, if you get a chance and the whole, to see I mean, it, basically, yeah. the whole doc is kind of a story to to his child, right? And and starts so when he's still healthy, and then kind of obviously goes right. through through his health decline. It's it's fat. there's so many good things out there, and and if you find them, especially when you get on Apple iTunes and you get on Netflix and mm-hmm. look at the documentaries, there's so many. We watch a lot of food and wine documentaries. We're oh my goodness, the the birth of Saki was another one that Wasn't we watched. It good? I found it to be so fascinating and and really just a beautiful, really well done um, story of of how sake is made. Um, the discipline, the tenacity, the the friendship, the the struggle. I just found it, it, it really, really well done. I didn't mostly know, the discipline, uh, the discipline, and also it's disciplined filmmaking. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are beautiful, beautiful shots that linger in in the birth of sake. Also, I didn't know that in a lot of handmade sake, or in this case, the handmade sake, they live together for six straight months, and that's all they do. They don't even go home. Mm-hmm. They live in a bunkhouse, and I didn't know what it took to actually make handmade. Saki, you know, machines do it's, it a lot. Right, right. And that, that really, really fascinated me. So check out all this good stuff. Hey, next week on Wine and Film, a perfect pairing, uh, a bunch more Academy Award contenders are on the way, including one that's getting a lot of Oscar buzz for Casey Affleck, and we call her the great Michelle Williams. It's Kenneth Lonergan's tearjerker, and it's called Manchester by the Sea. For more on, wow, I'm, I'm completely, Engrossed. Let me say that like I said, Alan. Tearjerker by Kenneth Lonergan called Manchester by the Sea. Haley, your turn. Any of the wines or films we talked about this week, please check out our blog on Cogill Consulting or through Facebook. Follow Gary on Twitter at Gary Cogill. To see what we're drinking now, follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Dallas Uncorked. And just launched a new Instagram page, yeah. Red Wine with Breakfast. Nice, as it should be. Yeah. And happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving. With that, I'm Gary Cogill, and as usual, I'm looking for the next great film. And I'm Haley Hamilton Cogill, always in search of a great glass of wine. Join us next time on... Wine and film, a perfect pairing.